Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 28 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. In the spirit of the Halloween season, we have two guests today. Later, I'll be speaking with the leader of the righteous, Vincent, but first, I have a very special guest. You may know him as Otis B. Driftwood from Rob Zombie's trilogy, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, and Three from Hell. Also, you may know him as Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He is Bill Mosley. Mr. Mosley, welcome to the show. Listen to a pounds of horror. I got a friend of mine bringing hell against the system just the way I did. Dig with the horror king's saying. So I'm passing the torch to Vincent. Vincent, to carry on the devil's work. It'll be a righteous party in hell. Welcome to the Ring of Horror, mother. Hey, it's my my pleasure to be here, and uh, hello to the Ring of Honor. Well, the first question I usually ask our guests here is, um, is what have you been doing since uh, basically the world uh, shut down in March? Uh, what have you been up to during this, uh, this crazy time? Oof. Well, geez, not, not a whole lot. Um, you know, I, um, the, the good news is, is that, uh, you know, even though uh, my, uh, my movie work and uh, horror conventions have pretty much completely closed down, um, the one thing that I, what I did before I became an actor uh, professionally was I was a, I wrote for magazines. And so I've been doing a lot of writing. It's a good time to write when you've got nothing else to do. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, what else I've been doing is um, I've also been, so I put out a, uh, I put out a comic book uh, actually called uh, The Cursed Cornfield Comics issue number one. And um, if you go to www.cursedcornfieldcomics.com, uh, you can download uh, issue number one of um, a comic book I did with a great uh, uh, comic book artist named Simon Kudrensky, who's actually in uh, Poland. And uh, we we're old buddies, and so we got together over the internet and uh, came up with this comic, and he illustrated it, and it's really fantastic. So I did that, and then um, <clears throat> I've also been binge-watching uh, The X-Files. Wow. Yes, I'm, I'm at season, I'm about halfway through season six. Now, had you watched it during its initial run, and you're watching I never it? did. No, I didn't really. You know, maybe one or two episodes, uh, you know, and I, I didn't realize it's been on for like, or it had been on for maybe eight years. And of course, there are two feature films too. So I just started with, you know, season one, episode one. As I say, I've made it up to about halfway through season six. Okay. And I try to do like one or two episodes a night. So I guess that's not really binge watching, but um, I, I think it's fantastic. And before that, I watched all of uh, Kolchak, The Night Stalker. Oh, that's uh, a great series. Was, yeah. Oh, man, with Darren McGavin. So I love that. And then 
and I just love the relationship between uh, Scully and Mulder, and yeah. uh, just love uh, the, uh, how much how different everything can be. There's so many different kinds of episodes. You know, there's the UFO episodes, there's the the deep state episodes, there's a bunch of co comedic episodes. I mean, they're really just a fantastic series. I'm still still really enjoying that. Well, since you mentioned X-Files, that gives me a chance to get in a cheap plug uh, from my column, which is called X-Files. My last name is Eck, E-C-K. So the <laughs> column is X-Files, which is all the, latest, awesome. all the latest Ring of Honor news and notes every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. I couldn't let that go. <laughs> well, that's good. And I, I didn't even know. I wasn't, this wasn't a setup, folks. <laughs> right. <laughs> this was an honest-to-goodness coincidence. Absolutely. Well, like I I'll said, I'll check it out. <laughs> please do. There's a lot about your friend Vincent in there who we'll get to in a second. Uh, but as I told you before we started, it, it really is a pleasure for me to be speaking with you today because I'm a huge fan of the Rob Zombie trilogy. Um, this is the Halloween season. Is, is this the most wonderful time of the year for you, Halloween? You know, in, in my line of work, every day is Halloween. Um, <laughs> so sometimes we kind of, uh, you know, s step back and, and, uh, call it amateur night, uh, you know, that's, uh, uh, you know, and not, not a diss by any stretch, but, um, you know, we're doing this, uh, again, 365 days a year. So, um, but I'm very happy about it. Uh, I got into horror movies, really. Uh, my love of horror began uh, with the fact that my dad, who was a very strict and tough uh, Marine, a uh, former Marine, um, the only time that he would really become like fun and friendly was around Halloween. So he would go to, uh, you know, elaborate lengths to, you know, set up things. Uh, you know, I have, I'm, I'm one of three boys. I have an older and a younger brother. And uh, so dad would arrange with, uh, you know, he took us one time uh, on, on Halloween to the local cemetery in Barrington, Illinois, where I grew up. And, um, you know, he told us to get out of the car in the cemetery and go uh, do some grave rubbings. So we had paper and little charcoal sticks or whatever it was. And uh, we were supposed to go out and find a gravestone and do a grave rubbing. And un unbeknownst to us, uh, Dad had um, uh, arranged it with the local police to send a cop car to the cemetery. And, um, you know, and, and catch us while we were grave uh, rubbing, not robbing, <laughs> rubbing, and, uh, and turn, the, uh, turn the bubble light on. And, uh, and so we're, you know, we're, you know, 10, 11, 13, whatever. I, I think, you know, there was about maybe five of us, my two brothers and a couple of other, you know, little boys. And uh, the cops showed up and we were terrified. One, my older brother's uh, buddy, Andy Schienhofen, uh, was so frightened by the, uh, the the police, you know, turning on the light. And I don't know if they turned on the siren, but, you know, they scared the crap out of us. And Andy Shanoven was so frightened, he hopped the cemetery fence and ran two miles through the dark uh, back to his home. <laughs> that's, a great so that's the kind of thing that dad really liked. So, uh, you know, I've always loved Halloween because, uh, you know, again, fond, fond personal memories. And um, also, I just love the color combination, orange and black. 
you mentioned uh, Halloween when you were a kid. What about now? Do you have, do you live in a neighborhood where you have um, kids, trick-or-treaters? Do you actually get trick-or-treaters at your house? Um, you know, uh, we do, uh, you know, the neighborhood that I live in is more kind of, uh, you know, young and middle-aged adults. So there aren't too many kids on the block. Um, you know, I have two daughters and of course, um, what I used to do was to uh, take them as, as little girls uh, dressed in their princess outfits or, you know, raggedy Ann, <laughs> whatever they were dressed as, right. and uh, take them over to a, a neighborhood nearby called uh, Hancock Park here in Los Angeles. And that's the home of uh, old money LA. So, you know, there are lots of mansions and um, uh, the candy's better. And <laughs> that's really where basically, you know, and it's a safe neighborhood because, uh, you know, there's lots of uh, security and police to protect uh, the rich people. So that's where we would go. <laughs> and, you know, that was a lot of, there would, there would be a lot of kids there. Um, you know, I actually, um, you know, am always happy to hand out uh, candy to kids. And, uh, you know, I don't put any pins in it, you know, contrary to popular belief. And uh, I, I just think it's hilarious. I, I love doing it. It reminds me of the time when I was at Universal City Walk here in Burbank, which is right next to or part of LA, really. And it's a Universal Studios um, has uh, every year they've had or used to have not not with COVID this year, but they used to have um, they would call it Haunted City Walk, and there would be um, they would take all the rides and they would turn them into uh, mazes, you know, themed mazes. And because House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects were, uh, you know, were or House of a Thousand Corpses certainly was a universal property originally, uh, they would have, uh, you know, a House of a Thousand Corpses maze. And I remember uh, years ago, right after House of a Thousand Corpses had come out, um, going with Rob and uh, Sherry, uh, Rob Zombie and his wife Sherry, Moon Zombie, and going to, you know, walk through the um, House of a Thousand Corpses maze, kind of a VIP tour. I might be, I mean, Sid Haig might have been with us. I mean, it was, you know, it was a, it was a VIP tour. And I remember going, going through the, um, uh, you know, I remember going through the, um, uh, the maze, and um, and I turned to say something to Rob and Sherry, and as I turned around again, this figure jumped out, and I screamed, <laughs> and uh, and I you know kind of looked you know closely, and it was it was Otis. That's fantastic. Otis had jumped out and scared me, and I squealed like a like a little girl, and uh, you know I still I don't think I I don't think I've lived that down yet. By the way. That, well, that is, I guess that's what they call poetic justice, I would think. I guess so. I'm just picturing, uh, when you said you do get some trick-or-treaters, I'm picturing you answering the door as Otis or as uh, Chop Top and, you know, an unsuspecting trick-or-treater getting maybe a little more than they bargained for. Well, yeah, I'm, not ever... so sure. I'm not so sure if, if kids recognize, um, you know, Otis or Chop Top. I'm not really sure that that, that actually brings up an interesting question, which is, what age is it appropriate to show a child uh, Chainsaw 2 or Devil's Rejects? <laughs> well, it's funny because I have a 15-year-old daughter 
who loves horror movies. And she's at the age now where we can start watching um, some R-rated movies. We watched The Shining together. Uh, but, and she knows about House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects. She knows about those films and has asked me about them. And I had to put my, as much as I would love to share those movies with her, as I've enjoyed sharing the other horror movies, I had to say, no, not, not quite yet. Not quite yet for those movies. Maybe, when, maybe in a couple years when she's 17 or 18, but I still think 15 might be a little too young. That's just my personal opinion. Now, when I was 15, that was fine. I mean, I went into, my parents were cool. They took me to see The Shining in the theaters when I was 13 years old. So, you know, I was very lucky in that regard. But yeah, I think mainly because of the, I don't know, some of the sexuality in the movies. And, yes, um, yes. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I, would, I would say that... Um, she, you know, she could probably watch uh, Chainsaw 2. Yes. Um, you know, there's not really much sexuality except when Leatherface is sticking the chainsaw, you know, in the ice bucket between Stretch's legs. Right. That might be a little, little, uh, a little embarrassing, but not too bad. Uh, Devil's Rejects, I would say, you know, the sexuality there is a little more overt. <laughs> so... You know that might be a little embarrassing or a little difficult, uh, you know, with a with a teenage girl. Uh, but you know what? I bet you, if you just you know put the movie on and left the room, and and uh, you know your daughter with her girlfriends, they they could absolutely handle it. I, I but, think so. uh, with with a parent in the room, it it gets a little funny. It does. I don't know whether it's more embarrassing for me or for her. That's I think it's probably more embarrassing for me. Um, you know, with some <laughs> probably of, you know uh, but yeah, she totally get it he did see the original we watched the original texas chainsaw massacre and she loved it to the point where i mean i should i mean i wish you could see her room her room is very much and she loves horror movies she has a a picture of leatherface that she uh got offline and it's in her actually no i'm sorry she has a picture of uh the victim the girl um in in the uh, when she's running out at the end she got a, a snapshot of that and has it on her wall so uh right yeah she she loves is that is that the girl that runs out and and gets grabbed by leatherface it, i mean there's a great shot of of leatherface on the porch outside holding this you know girl that's trying to escape and holding her around the waist and she's screaming uh that's a that's a great shot Yes. Um, well, good for her. It sounds like, um, you know, after, after the podcast, um, you'll have to give me your, uh, your address and, and your daughter's name, and I'd be happy to send her an appropriate um, <laughs> 8 by 10 of, uh, of, of Otis or, or somebody doing something scary, but, uh, you know, parentally approved. Oh, well, that is, that is extremely kind of you. Thank you. Um, I do want to ask you, though, since this is the ROH podcast, this is a wrestling Amen. do need to transition a little bit into, into wrestling. And um, I know that you shot a video earlier this year uh, that Vincent posted on his social media, which was you basically channeling maybe Otis or, or I don't know, not quite Otis, but uh, certainly a, uh, some type of social deviant. Um, and you basically said you were passing the torch to Vincent. What what is your take on Vincent and and what he's been doing here in Ring of Honor? Yes, I lo I love the fact that uh, you know that that Vincent uh, left uh, Matt Taven's faction and formed uh, the Cult of the Righteous. I love the fact that he did that um, 
you know, by splitting Matt's head with X. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's, there's one thing to, uh, you know, to walk into your boss and say, I quit or, uh, you know, you're forming your own, your own company or whatever it is, but another thing to do it with, uh, you know, with an X. So that is pretty, <laughs> I would say that that got the point across very clearly. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I basically get that, uh, that, that Vincent, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, can I say bullshit on your uh, podcast? Sure. They'll probably bleep it, but that's okay. You can say it. Okay. Well, then there's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, with, with uh, you know, with wrestling, there is a lot of uh, baloney. Let's put it that way. There you go. And, um, you know, the fact that, uh, that Vincent is really kind of, uh, you know, rebelling against that and uh, forming his own, you know, cult of the righteous. I mean, I appreciate that. Um, and the fact that he, uh, you know, he went to uh, to Matt's place and <laughs> attacked his ankle, but he was, <laughs> his ankle was, you know, was getting, uh, you know, was healing. <laughs> I mean, like I don't know, for, for some reason to me, that is, uh, you know, that's, that's certainly worthy of respect. And, uh, you know, if that's, uh, you know, that's, that's Vincent's course, then uh, absolutely, uh, you know, pass the mantle to him. I think he deserves it. Well, it certainly sent a message that Matt is not safe, even in his own home. Uh, and that was during a Facebook live Q&A. So it was sent out. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Ring of Honor fans were actually watching this in real time, which was, uh, I must say, if, if Vincent wanted to send a message, he certainly did. He also told Taven that, you know, since they were old friends, he knows that Taven doesn't lock his back door. So uh, <laughs> he knew the door was open and came right in. Well, there you go. And that's, uh, you know, we call that an invitation. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it just well, seems like, uh, you know, Vincent's ready to roll, man. Um, you know, I love the fact that, uh, you know, that he is, uh, one, of, one of my old uh, buddies is uh, Diamond Dallas Page. You know, yeah, I was going to ask you about him. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, DDP, who was in, of course, uh, Devil's Rejects, and uh, you know, is a, is a great old buddy. And uh, no, and I love DDP. I'm not quite into DDP's, uh, you know, yoga uh, rehab. Um, I'm still. I'm not. I'm not vegan, and I, I really can't do yoga. I'm more of a, you know, a, a hamburger eating, weight lifting guy. Um, but, uh, you know, what I, I, I love that the DDP, um, uh, you know, seems to have uh, gathered up a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, old wrestlers among his, uh, the people that he's introduced to the, his yoga program. And he's kind of gathered these, uh, these, these, these friends. And uh, that's what I love about uh, Vincent is that, um, you know, gathering friends like Bateman, if you want to call him a friend, or uh, Chuck, uh, a.k.a. Chuckles the Clown. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, Vita. You know, you got to, you know, it all starts with Vita. So, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, that he's making this, <clears throat> cult of the righteous and uh really kind of manson-esque if i can say that and uh you know, i appreciate that well let me ask you this question though matt taven returned recently and nobody had seen matt since june after that home invasion 
a lot of people were wondering, you know, he went uh, radio silent on social media. There was actually some real concern as, as you know, his well-being and, uh, you know, where is he? I mean, it was almost, we were almost ready to put his face on a milk carton. Um, and then he showed up out of the blue and attacked Vincent. And I mean, let's just be honest, beat the living hell out of him. Um, and then at the end, after, you know, he left Vincent lying and basically said, this is only the beginning. Uh, what is your take on that? Do you think that maybe that was a mistake by Taven? Like maybe he's actually just getting Vincent even more riled up because obviously Vincent isn't going to just let this go and roll over. Well, I think it depends. It, it sounds like Matt is really, um, you know, feeling his oats. It certainly, uh, you know, appears that his ankle is better <laughs> and that, uh, you know, whatever, whatever happened to his head with, uh, with Vincent's ax, uh, didn't really, you know, do any permanent damage, at least that we know. In fact, maybe it did, you know, maybe, uh, you know, that ax attack, um, uh, actually turned Matt into more of a maniac than he was already. And that, uh, yeah, so maybe he's just not right in the head. And that's why he attacked uh, Vincent and then jumped on him. I mean, all of that stuff is like, uh, you know, that's, that's someone who's not quite right in the head. And I'm just wondering if maybe the, uh, the axe attack had something to do with that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good uh, a point. I think, I think you're right. I think Matt, something snapped uh, in Matt's. Uh, so now we have just not one uh, psychopath. <laughs> we have two, uh, which will, you know, certainly make, I think, for some uh, compelling uh, action here in Ring of Honor going forward. Speaking of that, is there any chance that perhaps we might see you in Ring of Honor uh, once we, as you, as you know, right now we're doing uh, TV tapings in empty arenas. Once we get back more up and running and we open things up uh, more, any chance we might be able to see you at a show? Uh, there is a chance, you know, there is always a chance. So, um, in, in fact, um, you know, my people have been talking to Vincent's people and, uh, you know, it sounds like uh, something is stirring. I, I can't really say more than that, but, uh, you know, I don't want to tease the audience too much, but, uh, you never know, but, uh, hmm. wow. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to, Definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, you mentioned Diamond Dallas Page, and I was going to bring him up. He, um, he played one of the unholy two, uh, one of the bounty hunters uh, who was hired by the sheriff to take out the Firefly family uh, right. in uh, Devil's Rejects. You actually had a bit of a scuffle with him uh, during, in, in the film, right? There's one scene where you guys kind of uh, fought a little bit. Was that actually the two of you? Was there stunt doubles involved? What was that like? Uh, you know, there was a stunt double. Um, the first thing that happened was, uh, you know, DDP throws me out of a window um, at uh, Charlie's Pleasure Ranch. And uh, DDP throws me out a window. Um, <clears throat> that uh, kind of hurt. Uh, but then um, I'm on the uh, I'm on the ground and DDP um, for real DDP uh, is supposed to uh, kick me in the ribs, and so he does. And the first take he kicked me in the ribs. I'm on all fours and he kicks me in the ribs, 
And I figured that since he was a professional wrestler, he would know to maybe um, pull his punches, so to speak, and yeah. that uh, he wouldn't really kick me in the ribs. He'd make it look like it, but he wouldn't really kick me in the ribs. And by golly, he, when they said action, he kicked me in the ribs. <laughs> and uh, Kane Hodder, who plays, uh, you know, Jason Voorhees in a lot of the Friday the 13th movies, sure. was our stunt coordinator. And, and I was like, he, and, and after DDP kicked me in the ribs, I said, you know, dude, hey, Kane, you know, give me a pad or something. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, Kane was, I don't know what he was doing, but he, then he comes back and, and gives me a pad for the next take. And, uh, but the pad he gave me was really kind of stiff as a board. It was almost like putting a, like a piece of two by, I mean, uh, plywood under my shirt. And so then uh, we did take two and DDP now feels because I have a pad that he can kick me again, just as hard. And so he did, and, and the pad didn't do any good at all. Again, it's like putting wood, you know, on, on yourself. And so it just, it didn't really cushion the blow at all. So I had, uh, you know, nothing, nothing cracked or broke, but um, I think for about the next three months, I had, uh, you know, a bruise on my ribs. Uh, so uh, I can honestly say that I survived DDP, <laughs> I guess. Wow. Like, I think we, we call that working stiff uh, in the wrestling <laughs> right. business. So, yeah, DDP. It's funny because he's not a guy who was really known for that. But uh, I don't know. Maybe he just got excited being on a Hollywood set. I don't know. You know, I think that that's very possible. Uh, you know, uh, I, I do think that uh, – and that's happened before. I, I've had a bunch of experiences like that where people get – really kind of wound up because they're going to be on camera and they get all excited. Um, although DDP has been, been around. I mean, he's, he's been on camera. I think maybe he just didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably there's always that. There's always that possibility. <laughs> That's probably, yeah. who knows? Maybe he's, although I've, I've seen him since I've, you know, I've been to a couple of horror conventions in, uh, in Atlanta where he now lives. And uh, I always, you know, when I see DDP, I'm always happy to see him and, he seems happy to see me. He hasn't kicked me since, so maybe we're on the mend. Well, who knows? Maybe Rob told him to uh, make it, you know, make it good, make it look real. Yeah, right. Make it real. Make it real. That's what he did. I wanted to ask you something about uh, since we're in, we're talking about sort of wrestling and movies. Uh, in wrestling vernacular, you know, we have our good guys and bad guys. We call them baby faces and heels. Um, I wanted to ask you this. And I watched The Devil's Rejects again, actually just last night, because I knew I wanted to see it again before we did this interview today. What category would you place the Firefly family in? Because I would say in House of a Thousand Corpses, definitive heels for sure. But it gets more complicated, I think, in Devil's Rejects and Three from Hell, because they're basically portrayed as uh, the protagonist. But, you know, they're still pretty vile and they kill innocent people. But on the other hand, we see that like they all really care about each other. So, I mean, how would you classify them? Well, I think that's kind of like a normal family, basically. I mean, there are elements of it. I think, I think what really flips the audience in Devil's Rejects is the uh, tutti fruity ice cream scene. Yeah. When we're in the van, we're driving. Otis has been driving for a long time, getting kind of grouchy. 
and uh, and baby wants to stop for some ice cream, and then uh, you know Captain Spaulding chimes in, I'm going to have me some some tutti frutti, and uh, you know and I, we just get into a family argument like no we're not going to stop we got to keep going, and uh, just this whole kind of family quarrel that isn't really you know a bloody quarrel but just a typical quarrel, uh, and. Um, and then ultimately Otis loses the quarrel and we continue to drive and, and there's baby eating the ice cream cone. And then it, I, I do remember when we shot that scene, you know, there was that, that moment where she's offering me the ice cream cone and I don't want it. And I turned my head quickly and I ended up uh, planting my nose in the ice cream. Right. And, uh, and there was like a little bit of ice cream on my nose. And I was just thinking, oh God. And then, of course, that's the uh, that's the take that uh, that Rob chose. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely, no, just to have that that comic moment, um, you know. And every once in a while, you just have those moments in movies. Um, you know, that I, I call them the magic moments, where you know that's not part of the script. That wasn't uh, anything that anybody had planned for or prepared, and uh, and just happens in the normal state of the scene unfolding and. Um, you know, that, that tutti fruity moment with the ice cream on my nose was certainly one of them. Yeah. Uh, another, another moment was when uh, we were, I was uh, just about to, uh, uh, you know, bash the brains in of uh, uh, Jeffrey Lewis. Uh, I don't know if he was Banjo or Sullivan, one of those two guys. Yeah. And, uh, and we, were, we were out in Lancaster, California, and it was dead calm. It was hot. It was, you know, windless. And, uh, and we're doing that scene and I'm standing over Jeffrey Lewis with a club about to, you know, bash his head in. And, um, and all of a sudden there's a little bit of breeze that blows the hair over my eyes. And then I, you know, reached up and, and pulled that curtain of hair back and said, I am the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. And uh, that was another, that was the million dollar breeze where wow. it just suddenly shows up and blows your hair and, you know, it makes for a dramatic moment that, that really wasn't scripted. Wow. That's, a, that's amazing because I would have thought, I mean, yeah, that was so perfect. I know exactly. Again, I watched the movie last night again, so I know exactly what you're talking about with that breeze coming by and then you delivering that line. Um, and, and certainly with the ice cream cone, I would have thought for sure that that was the button on the, on the scene was, you know, the, you get some of the ice cream on your nose and that, you know, that was the, the almost, you know, the, the, the punchline. Uh, but the fact that it happened just naturally makes it even cooler, I think. And it's also, there, there's sometimes when that happens that, that if you had scripted it, uh, it just would not have come off half as well. Absolutely. Either it would look, uh, it would look artificial or it just, you know, you'd end up doing 17 takes of getting ice cream on your nose. You know, it just, you know, sometimes you just have to, uh, you know, stand back and let the magic happen. Like, what? I do remember at the end of Devil's Rejects, um, I'm, I'm driving the car with my poor, you know, hands that have a whole bloody holes in them. Yeah. And, um, and there are uh, guns. There are three guns laid out on the front seat to my right. And uh, Captain Spaulding and Baby are in the back seat. They've been beaten up. They're—I don't know if they're—they're they're dying. They're close to it. And um, 
and we stop and, uh, and look forward and there is the Ruggsville Sheriff's Department uh, ready to, you know, with a roadblock, everybody's got rifles, they're aimed at us. And this is that, that moment of truth where, um, you know, I look back and uh, I get the eye of both um, Spalding and, and Baby and we all, you know, without words, we agree we're, we're going down, but we're going out in a blaze of glory. And I remember, um, you know, and that was all, again, that's not in the script, but, you know, that is, you know, the overall, I mean, that is in the script in the sense that it's, we know what's going to happen. So we know that this is that moment. And I remember handing out the guns. I had two pistols and a shotgun in the front seat. And I remember certainly handling, handing a baby a pistol. And then it came down to, you know, who gets the shotgun? Who gets the boomstick? Uh, Captain Spaulding or Otis? Now I am driving. So, you know, using a shotgun would be a little difficult, but even so, Spaulding and, and Otis have had this, you know, we've, we've had this rivalry throughout the movie. And, uh, you know, it gets, sometimes it flares into violence. Uh, kind of like, uh, kind of like Vincent and Matt, maybe. <laughs> but uh, um, in, that, in that moment, I remember looking at uh, Captain Spaulding and just, uh, you know, and finding love in my heart for him as Otis, not as, not as Bill. And, uh, and, and, and wanting to honor, knowing that this was the end, we were, gonna, we were driving off to our doom. And I wanted to honor the relationship. And uh, so I remember, you know, picking up the shotgun and handing it back to, uh, to Sid, to Captain Spaulding. And, and the two of us had a moment where he understood what I was doing and saying without saying a word. And he, you know, looked back at me and, you know, he, you know, returned the love as he accepted the shotgun. And, um, and then, you know, I picked up the pistol and you know, stepped on the accelerator and off we went. Uh, but, you know, there are those moments where, um, again, you know, the camera, the camera can't necessarily pick those up, especially, you know, moments like that that are very close and intimate. But, uh, you know, they really end up making, they, they give magic to the scene um, where you find something that, again, you weren't necessarily told to look for. And, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the rush of, of movie making when those are those magic moments where you really are that character that you really are in that moment. And, uh, it just uh, fills you with love and joy. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I can understand that. That's, uh, making that choice in the moment. And then, um, you know, it does it, it, it adds something whether or not people really even picked up on what the gest gesture meant, but I think it definitely adds some layers. And uh, it's like I said, these, you know, the, the Firefly family is about as vile as you can get. I mean, they love torturing innocent people, but you got to give Rob Zombie credit because he is able to make them still, I don't know if sympathetic's the right word, but um, little moments like that, the tutti fruity scene, to your point, uh, the way you can see the family cares about each other, like when they go to Charlie's uh, Pleasure Palace and, you, you know, they all kind of bond, even though Charlie does sort of sell them out later. Um, but then in the end, he kind of redeems himself. But I think it's, it's those things that like make it very hard. Um, like, how are you supposed to feel? Like, again, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? And then when the sheriff 
you know, captures the uh, unholy three and, and begins to torture them, you know, they killed his brother. So you can like, okay, they deserve this. Yet somehow you're kind of rooting for them to break free. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, I think zombie definitely is like pushing some buttons in the, in the audience's minds as to who they're supposed to be rooting for. Yes, and, and by the way, that reminds me of to, to give a big shout out to uh, William Forsythe, who plays Sheriff Wydell, uh, who really did a great job of being, uh, you know, the, the, the bad good guy or the good bad guy, um, you know, and making us look like, uh, you know, poor innocent, poor innocent victims. I mean, not long after the 2D, you know, before the 2D fruity scene, we get this little family. It's like you're doing, uh, your character is doing just horrible things to Priscilla Barnes, uh, you know, Terry from Three's Company. It's like, yeah. and then like, and now they're, you know, making jokes about Tutti Fruity ice cream. And we're like, oh, okay, man, this is just like my family. We argue about, I'm not going to stop and get ice cream. And we see that, that humanity in them after seeing such inhumanity. Uh, it, it really is quite a, um, you know, I don't know if we're getting too deep here on, 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 the, on the film, but it, it does make you uh, question who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. There's definitely... Uh, shades of gray. I wanted to ask you though about another scene. Uh, this one's in House of a Thousand Corpses. It, it might be one of my favorite scenes in any movie. And it's the one where um, Slim Whitman, I Remember You, is playing in the background and we see sort of the discovery of the victims, right? In the, the, the cheerleaders, either dead or, you know, about to be dead. They've been tortured. Uh, the father of one of the victims and a deputy, they open it up and, you know, they see this carnage and uh, Slim Whitman, the song is playing. Uh, <laughs> Mama Firefly, then we cut to inside the house and she blows, off, blows the brains out of one of the other deputies. And so the one deputy and then Otis comes up behind him, kills, kills the father. Um, the other deputy surrenders, goes on his knees, you know, puts his, 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 his arms, his hands behind his head and he's, he's given up. And then it, it's like everything goes silent. The music stops. We, we, the camera pans back to a wide shot. And I swear it must have been 30 seconds. 30 seconds. 30 seconds of no sound whatsoever. Otis and the deputy, neither one of them is moving a muscle. And as, a, as an audience member, the tension is building. Like, is he going to pull the trigger? Is he going to let him go? Like, what's going to happen? It gives me chills, actually, just, you know, thinking about that scene it was just so brilliantly shot um and then we get the gunshot and then all of a sudden the silence breaks and we hear dogs barking and birds and um i mean what were your thoughts on that scene to me it's just was like it was such a brilliant perfectly uh filmed scene what was what was so interesting about it first of all um it was one of it was the it was the one of the uh, moments uh, where I really loved Rob's directing because um, when I start that scene, I appear from behind some of the old rusted refrigerators in the yard and uh, with my gun drawn and I come out and, uh, uh, you know, I, that's when I tell the, the, the deputy to get on his knees. Um, and we did that first take, and uh, Rob said, cut, and he said, yeah, that was great, that was great. Okay, this time, Bill, when you come out, scratch your belly. And I just thought, 
okay, I can do that. <laughs> and uh, so I went back, we reset and, um, you know, uh, by the way, the deputy was Walton Goggins, who, uh, you know, really has gone on to have a fantastic uh, career. Uh, but anyway, so uh, on take two, uh, I come out and this time I'm scratching my belly as I'm saying, doing the same stuff, uh, saying the same words to Walton. And it was so funny because it was a wonderful direction as opposed to saying, I want you to feel this or act this way, or this is who Otis is or who I want you to be. All he, all Rob said was scratch your belly. And it completely gave me a, a different or a deeper insight into the characters. Uh, I appreciated that part. Um, you know, for me, um, just standing there holding the gun for, you know, 30 seconds, I, I just, you know, I just remember what I, I didn't want to have my, my arm start trembling. <laughs> so, <Sure. laughs> uh, but um, I remember later after we shot that scene, so to speak, um, uh, Rob showed me the scene. We, we had moved on to where we we're about to lower the, you know, the kids down into the, um, to, to the underground tunnels. And uh, so it was a night scene, and 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 during a break and and shooting that, Rob said, "Hey, you know, come to the trailer and check this out." And uh, so he invited me and Cherry to come to his trailer, and uh, on his laptop or whatever it is, he showed us that scene. Um, you know, the I remember you scene, the, the killing, the execution of the deputy, and um, and I just I thought it was fantastic. I just thought, oh my God, that's brilliant. And later I found out, uh, Rob said that he, uh, later, uh, he had to fight really hard to keep that scene in, to keep that scene in uh, because, uh, you know, the studio wanted him to take it out uh, because they felt that it glorified violence against the police or something. You know, there were some, you know, again, this was like 1999, so we did it in early 2000. So there were lots of issues going on. And there was uh, Columbine. There was 9/11, uh, of course. There was R-rated, you know, R-rated material to you know, to underage kids. That was an issue. Um, that was an issue in front of the Congress. So there was lots of there was some political charge to it, and, uh, and so. Um, the powers that be didn't really want that scene in the movie because they felt again it was provocative, and uh, and Rob fought hard. That's one thing that Rob is really good at. I think he probably even relishes it, and that is uh, fighting to protect what his vision from the suits, quote unquote. And I'm sure Vincent, <laughs> you know, shares that belief. Uh, you know, because sometimes. In the you know for you know if you can get a little too politically correct or you can uh, get a little too protective or you just want to keep everything bland or blander um, you know and and Rob fought hard and obviously kept that scene in and you know it turns out that scene really was kind of the the heart of the movie uh, for for my money. Uh, hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Yep. I had never and heard that was that was what they focused on. Like, well, let's let's get rid of that scene. It's like, like, no, no, you don't you don't get it, guys. No, that shows the suits just do not know what they're talking about on most occasions. I would think, um, or or they do and they're and they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that's even worse. Yeah, I mean, I can sort of understand maybe where they were coming from, but 
Sure. Uh, again, the scene was just shot so uh, brilliantly. Like I said, I can't say enough yeah. good things about it. Like and, and you gotta love Slim Whitman. You know. Oh my God. Well, the choice of the choice of music. I mean, it was all just done so well. Like I, I yeah. You know, I, again, I can't say enough good things about it. I I, I want to ask you one more uh, question about Otis, and and that's he's been compared very much to like a Charles Manson. And obviously I, I know, you know, Rob has a, a fascination with, you know, the Manson uh, murders back in the day as, as a lot of, a lot of people in America do um, or over the world, really. It's, I mean, we're still talking about it today. What has it been? 50 years. Um, is that right? 50 years, 69. Yeah. 50 years. yeah. Um, were you, and I know you were you were gonna play Manson in the Manson Lost Girls or the Manson Girls movie at one point and it fell through. But when when you get this this uh, part of Otis and it's explained to you that he's very Manson like, how did you prepare? Did you actually watch like Charles Manson footage, or did you not want anything to do with Manson so you could make the character its own uh, entity? Well, first of all, nobody nobody said anything about um, it being like Charles Manson until after we shot the movie. Okay. Uh, you know, in other words, that was not a that wasn't a message from Rob. Um, so that was really good because I'm I'm glad um, because that would have been really probably for me probably more of a distraction um, trying to. Um, incorporate an historic character into, you know, a character I was, I was building. Um, when I first met Rob, I was uh, emceeing a horror award show over at Universal Studios here in Burbank, California. And um, I was made up and uh, made up as and dressed uh, and, and in a tuxedo and dressed as Chop Top. So I was, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a buddy that could do the chop top makeup. I had my plate, my hanger, my little, my little lighter. And, um, uh, and so I introduced Rob. Rob was one of the award recipients of the Igor Awards that night, back in October of 99. So that was the first time I met him. I was made up as chop top. And um, when Rob, like a month later, Rob's manager called up and said, uh, Rob just had his screenplay greenlit. It's called House with a Thousand Corpses. He'd like you to be in it. And so uh, I said, great. So they sent over um, a copy of the script, and I was told to look at the part of Otis Driftwood. And I started to work with Rob on creating the character of Otis. And what I really thought was that Rob, who was a huge Chop Top fan from Chainsaw 2, wanted his own version of Chop Top. And um, I was pleasantly surprised as Rob gently but firmly pried my fingers off Chop Top and led me to Otis. And Otis, I just always thought of as just a kick-ass, you know, badass, you know, long-haired dude. Um, uh, I remember that they, uh, the, one of the producers wanted me to lose weight, but I'm already a skinny guy. And uh, so she wanted me to lose like 10 pounds and uh, you know which would have made me literally skin and bones so I remember uh, that was part of what went into it um, was you know eating nothing but uh, you know broccoli and and ground beef patties uh, no cookies I was that was uh, I wasn't able to eat cookies or I was told not to 
uh, you know, so I had and no, you know, uh, potatoes or anything. So, you know, I was already, you know, kind of hungry and lanky. Um, and I just never really even thought about Charles Hanson okay. um, until, you know, long afterwards when, um, you know, people brought up, the, you know, the, uh, the subject. At first they thought that I was actually playing Rob. Um, and then they thought that I was, you know, then, then people mentioned certainly with Devil's Rejects with the Tex Watson line or the Bateman line, you know, I'm the devil. I'm here to do the devil's business, I think was what Tex Watson said. Uh, so obviously, you know, Rob was, you know, you know, very, you know, strongly influenced by that. But I, I wasn't really. Okay. Yeah. There, in, in House of a Thousand Corpses, too, there's some scenes that are taken, uh, they're very much like the Manson documentary, which uh, where the girls are talking about, uh, you know, Armageddon basically and, and holding shotguns and that sort of recreated or inspired, I guess, that inspired some scenes uh, where Otis is kind of pontificating too about his worldview of things that it was very uh, much reminiscent of that Manson documentary. Um, I want to ask you, though, the, the main difference, I would say, between House of a Thousand Corpses and the two subsequent films is that there was a supernatural element in the first one that we really didn't see in the next two. So the question I'm going to ask is, just for you personally, what do you find scarier? Uh, like serial killers that are real flesh and blood or supernatural entities? Well, when, when it's supernatural, you know, basically... Um, all the rules of normal life are pretty much off the table uh, because, you know, with supernatural, anything can happen at any time for any reason. Um, when you have uh, the serial killers, when you have the reality of that, that you and I, you know, the, the reality of our normal lives, uh, it's a lot, it, it's, it's a lot scarier, at least in terms of a movie because it's stuff that could happen and probably does. Yeah. Uh, so I would have to go with that choice. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree. I think real life is always, um, you don't have to suspend your disbelief, as you said, because it could really happen. Whereas, you know, some people believe in the supernatural and the paranormal and others don't. I think you can always say, oh, it's just a movie or that, that couldn't really happen. Um, well, I think we're talking, we're talking in the movies and not real life. I mean, for me, there is, no, it, it, you know, there, it, the paranormal, the supernatural is, you know, can be scary as hell. I mean, I remember I was shooting a movie called Blood Night, uh, you know, a long time ago, The Legend of Mary Hatchet. And uh, one of our uh, uh, locations was an abandoned uh, mental institution in northern New Jersey. And uh, I think it was in Essex County. Um, and uh, the institution had, you know, it was a big campus, red brick, you know, where it had been a mental, you know, an asylum for many years. And it had been abandoned because I guess uh, they discovered that, you know, all the pipes were clad with asbestos. So it was, it was, and it was basically left pretty much untouched. You know, the chairs, the tables, the files, everything was in this place. We were, we were shooting right around Christmas. I remember there was, you know, snow on the ground. It was cold. Uh, night shoots, so that's even colder. And I remember uh, taking a break. I had a little time off, and I, I took a break, and I picked up one of the flashlights on the set, and I went downstairs into the basement of the building we were shooting in. And um, 
because I really was curious. I was, I was just interested to see if, in fact, there was anything to, you know, the supernatural stuff. And I, I've never seen a ghost. I, I really haven't had any memorable supernatural experiences so that I'm a, you know, a firm believer. And uh, so I went down into this basement by myself, and it was like a basement corridor. And I remember standing at the foot of the stairs and kind of, uh, you know, with my flashlight, and then I just turned the flashlight off and just kind of, you know, uh, invited, you know, whatever entities might be there to, you know, show themselves. And um, I just stood there, and I just got this really bad feeling. <laughs> like, and I don't know if that was just my head going, you know, scaring me or if there was something happening there. I don't know what it was, but I just had this really bad feeling. And this this voice in my head that said, Bill, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> so I remember just uh, you know turning the light back on and scampering up the stairs. So... <laughs> I mean, to me, if it's supernatural, uh, you know, it, 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 frankly, it's it's scarier because then what happens is your whole world uh, becomes uh, uh, shaken because there this isn't this isn't reality. This may be a reality, but it's not the reality. And there's something else, and all that stuff really blows my mind. Yeah, I, I understand. I can I see that point of view. I guess for me personally, it's I've never had a paranormal experience. So to me, um, I, while I would, I find it compelling. I, I watch all the ghost shows. I, I love ghost adventures and, you know, dead files and all those shows. Uh, but I've never had an experience myself. So I still would consider myself a skeptic. Whereas I know serial killers really do exist. So that scares me, I think, personally a little bit more. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'd love to have a supernatural or paranormal experience at some point. So, I, you know, I'm hoping to... Well, let's just hope it's a pleasant one. Like uh, maybe yeah. just, uh, you know, a picture falls over, or falls <laughs> off the wall or... <laughs> right, right. You see somebody walking across the pond uh, dressed in white. But, uh, you know, as opposed to something, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I don't want to meet Dr. <laughs> Satan. I don't want to meet Dr. Satan. Dr. Satan, right. And be lowered into a grave on Halloween. Was it Halloween Eve? or Ho It was Halloween Eve, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that wasn't good. I don't want to do that. Okay. Well, uh, man, I could talk to you, I, and I've, I've kept you probably longer than I should have. I could talk to you probably for another hour about uh, movies you've been in and, and different things. But uh, before, I, before we do wrap up here, I just want to ask you if you have any um, – any projects coming up that you want to mention uh, where fans can find you maybe online or on social media? Uh, they can, they can find me. I have a, I have a website, an old crazy website called choptopsbbq.com. So C-H-O-P-T-O-P-S-B-B-Q.com. You can go uh, play the, uh, the crazy piano and do a bunch of funny things on, on the, the website, uh, my social media is pretty much at Chop Top Mosley, C-H-O-P-T-O-P-M-O-S-E-L-E-Y. That's uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Um, in terms of things that uh, that I have been working on, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, the writing and the, the comic book, but um, I also, back in uh, uh, November and December of last year, I was in Japan. Uh, shooting a movie called Prisoners of the Ghostland, 
uh, directed by a famous and fantastic Japanese director named Sion Sono, S-I-O-N-S-O-N-O. And if you get a chance, check out some of his movies. They are really crazy, fantastic, wonderful movies. Weird, you know, scary, psychological, whatever they are. Um, very cool. And uh, the movie stars Nicolas Cage. And uh, I had, uh, the only time I'd ever met Nicolas Cage before was when Rob Zombie was doing uh, a fake trailer for the Quentin Tarantino movie Grindhouse. And Rob did uh, something called Werewolf Women of the SS. And uh, Nicolas Cage plays Fu Manchu at the end. He's laughing. That was the only time I'd met uh, Nicolas Cage. And uh, no, I, I didn't know really what to expect. And I went over to Japan and, uh, you know, to play a character in the movie. And I just found Nicolas Cage to be a great guy. Very funny, very sharp. And um, he, uh, he, he approaches acting the way I do, which is really getting into it, you know, all the way into it, not, uh, not fiddling around, not futzing with what's my better side and, you know, the Hollywood <laughs> actor insecurities. He just goes for it. And uh, that's what I, the way I like to do it too. So uh, that should be coming out. I'm not sure, you know, with COVID, it just adds months to everything, sometimes years. Uh, you know, I've read about so many movies that have been postponed until 2021. So I'm not sure really what's going to happen to Prisoners of the Ghost Land, but uh, I really recommend, uh, I think it's going to be really, really cool. That sounds really cool, for sure. Um, and a quick story, since you mentioned Grindhouse. Uh, Love that movie. I saw it the, the first day. A uh, couple of friends of mine, uh, we work nights usually, so we're free during, at least at this time we did. We all worked at the newspaper. We worked at the Baltimore Sun back right. in and um, and so we have our you know work night, so your days are free. So we went to a matinee of of Grindhouse, and uh, you know usually go to these matinees. There's not a lot of people there for sure, but we had three elderly. I'm talking like gray-haired uh, women had to be in their 60s at least in front of us, and we thought, man, that's an interesting. You know, hey, maybe they're just old-time horror fans, whatever. But then it, it became obvious, I think, that they didn't really know what they were coming to see and they literally they literally walked out like we could just we saw their reactions at various scenes that they just weren't prepared for and i don't remember what scene it was that led that was the final straw but at some point halfway through the movie uh they were gone it might have been i don't know rose mcgallan killing people with her wooden leg or something i can't remember what right or, or or in that same movie planet terror when remember when uh, quentin was starting to melt yes <laughs> Yeah, at some point, the, the three ladies said, all right, that's enough. And they laughed. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't go see Grindhouse, I guess. I don't know. Oh, God, God bless them for trying. God bless them for trying. All right, well, hey, Bill, again, uh, thanks so much. Uh, you were very, very extremely generous with your time today. Uh, you know, your feelings on Vincent uh, notwithstanding, you know, it's a little concerning because he is a psychopath. But, you know, I understand, uh, you know, to each his own. Uh, but uh, again, thanks so much for, for, for coming on today. And I hope we can see you at a Ring of Honor show soon. Uh, that would be great. I, I do appreciate it. Uh, my best to Vincent and the Cult of the Righteous. And, um, you know, I, I certainly hope he enjoys uh, the podcast and, and doesn't come looking for me with, with his axe. Well, we're going to have him. 
<laughs> yeah, we're gonna. You don't. You don't want that. We're gonna have him coming up next. Uh, actually, we're gonna go to a break, and we will welcome the horror king himself, Vincent. Right awesome. Now. I'm Manny the Malt Maker. I'm Mega the Bard. I'm Andrew the Barbarian. I'm Santi the Bard. I'm Thea the Wizard. And I'm Tracy Williams. And to see which character I'll be playing, make sure you tune in to episode three of Role Play of Honor, brought to you by Ring of Honor. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong podcast. And now it's time for the second part of our, I guess we could call it our creature feature Halloween special episode. My next guest is the leader of the righteous. He is the horror king, Vincent. Vincent, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. It's a, it's you know, it's such a surprise for me to be on something like this. Usually, it's you know, like a guy like Matt Taven that always gets the spotlight. But we know how that ended up. I sliced my way into freedom, and yet here I am, Kev. So thanks for having me. Yeah, well, this is not your first appearance on the podcast. I mean, let's. You're one of the very few who have actually uh, been on it. Twice. This is your second appearance. Like, you're one of a handful of people uh, to be on it twice. You kind of well, let's be real. Away. Let's be real, Kev. Let's be yeah. real before we get to that. Sure. I wasn't invited to the last podcast. You dig what I'm saying, man? I had to open the door myself yet again, just like I had to do with everything else here in Ring of Honor. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to get to. You really weren't an invited guest. You kind of invited yourself um, on that uh, on that previous episode. How things that. have changed. Yeah. Well. Things have changed since then. I mean, that was back in the spring. And not long after you kind of forced your way under that episode, you forced your way into Matt's house. I mean, he was doing a live Facebook Q&A. And uh, you stormed into the man's house and, and attacked him, attacked his surgically repaired ankle. But I got to ask you, did you feel when you did that, that you finished the job on Matt Taven? Did you think you would never see Matt back again in Ring of Honor, because obviously that's not the case. You know, first things first, Kevin, man, I didn't, I didn't break into anybody's house. He left the door wide open for anybody to walk right in. So I took advantage of that, man. That's the problem with Taven. He doesn't pay attention to things. He only pays attention to himself and anything that has to do with himself. And that's why he ended up in the situation he was in, man. And d- did I feel like the job was done? No. That, that's, that's the high for me, man. I knew Taven was going to come back. I like playing this game with Matt Taven. I like seeing him get frustrated. Just like all the suffering that he put me through, Kevin, I figure why not do the same? Well, we saw that Matt did make his comeback uh, recently <laughs> on Ring of Honor television. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go, go ahead, Kevin. I'm just laughing at the fact, but go right ahead. Well, I mean, you weren't laughing, though, when he put you through a table, um, you know, and, you know, it was a pretty brutal beatdown. And then he basically said to you at the end, 
Well, not basically. He did say it straight out. He said, this is just the beginning. It's not over. Now, I'm not going to give out, we don't want to give away any spoilers because uh, this is, uh, this is airing on, this is Monday, October 26th that this podcast is dropping. So tonight, uh, there will be a watch party on Twitter so people can watch the episode that just dropped this weekend. Uh, there is a response from you, but again, we don't want to spoil that for people who haven't seen it yet. But I, where do you see this thing ending? I mean, can, can you guys coexist in Ring of Honor or is, is this one man standing and the other man has to just be you know, obliterated? <laughs> As far as I'm concerned, Kevin, regardless of Matt Taven coming back or not, this has ended. This ended at Final Battle 2019, and Matt Taven just can't live with that. He can't live with the fact that I'm in the spotlight now, and it's all to myself. You saw me standing in the middle of that ring with the spotlight just on Vincent, man, and that's all I ever wanted from this. And that's exactly how it is now. So this ended a long time ago. Matt Taven just likes to keep continuing to play chess with me. But the thing is, I spin the dice, Kev. I'm the one that's in control, man. You dig what I'm saying? So Matt Taven, this is all going on in his own head, man. This ended in 2019 final battle when I stood over him, watching him after I defeated him. After he kept me to the right side, out of the spotlight for that entire time, man. It was always about Taven. And he still tries to make it about himself, man. But like I said, this ended a long time ago. This is just Matt Taven fighting with himself at this point. Okay, well, I mean, that's certainly your point of view. Uh, I think Matt sees it a lot differently. That's a uh, fact, Kevin. It's not my point of view. It's a fact. Okay, okay. Again, I, I think Taven may take issue with that, but... Let me ask you this, though. Did, did you, how surprised were you? I mean, you were standing in the middle of the ring, um, you know, delivering your message as only you can do. And, you know, you haven't seen Taven. We, no one's seen him since June. And he suddenly came out and, and was all over you, man. I mean, like, how surprised were you that he was actually there? And, uh, I mean, let's be honest. He, he, he beat the hell out of you. <laughs> He did, but I've said this before. Nobody can hurt me any more than I can hurt myself. All the suffering that I've gone through to get him to where he wanted to be, all the suffering that I put everybody else through, there's no – he beat the hell out of me, but there was no uh, – it did nothing, man. It did nothing. Was I surprised? No, I wasn't surprised. I knew Matt Taven was going to come back. Why? Because it's me. Somebody that he's known for over a decade, it's me that's in his spot now. And he can't live with that, man. And I wasn't surprised to see him because, of course, he's going to come back for revenge, man. Like I always say, revenge is forever. And I need you to remember that on my end, too. Okay. You know, I have a feeling, you, you know, you kind of, look, you proved your point. You broke away from Matt. You had your match at final battle. Hell, you beat, you beat the former world champion, Matt Taven, one, two, three. Say that again. Say that again. It's a fact. You beat the former world champion, Matt Taven. You pinned his shoulders to the mat. One, like two, music three. to my ears. Like music to my ears, Kevin. Well, I mean, so you proved your point. Why then go and, you know, Bateman comes I, in the ring. Correct. You, okay, let's back, it, let's back that truck up a second, Kev. You're right. I proved my point. I proved my point. So now why is Matt Taven? Why can't Matt Taven just let it be? Let it be what it is. 
Well, because you didn't just win the match, you had to have Bateman come in the ring and you guys did the misery uh, bit on him with the, with the wood block and, and the called, chair. I mean, it's, it's called hobbling, Kevin. And, and you know, and that's, that's the thing, though, because beating Matt Taven is just isn't enough sometimes because he's that selfish of a person that it's not just – it's not beat him, pick him back up and shake his hand and everybody walks away with a smile, man. It's beat him and he has to argue – with, his, with the fact that he's not in that spotlight anymore and he'll continuously try to get it again. So the only way to do that is take him out completely. Just like I did with the kingdom. Okay. All right. I mean, look, I'm, can I just get real with you for like a second here? I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, you guys, you guys legitimately were friends. I mean, for years, what is 11 years, 12 years? I mean... Is there any way, I know it doesn't seem like it at this point, but is there any way you guys at some point maybe can just, I don't know, put all this behind you? I mean, you've got a lot of history together as friends. I don't think it's too late to turn back at this point, is it? There's a lot of history, Kevin, but the problem is every time I took a step forward, Matt Taven would put his foot on my head. Every single time I had an opportunity, Matt Taven would put his foot on, on my head. He never liked anybody ahead of him. He fought it to the death, man. And any opportunity that I was ever given, Matt Taven always had to outdo me in any way that he possibly could to make sure that he tried to stay ahead of me. But the game has changed. And like I said, he can't live with that. It eats him up inside. So now he's got to cause all this ruckus and stop breaking all the rules, mind you, during an IOH Pure episode and ruin everything, just like he's done before. All right, well, let me shift gears for a little bit here. Um, As you know, we had uh, a friend of yours, Bill Mosley, on prior to your appearance here on this podcast. He was was my man. Was my earlier guest, and um, I don't know. I, I just, you know, Bill is a seems like such a nice guy, good dude. Yet he's, you know, I just don't understand. But he is endorsing you, as, as he said, and you've he passed the torch uh, to you. Uh, what is it? I mean, th- this power that you seem to have over over people, whether it's, I mean, Bill Mosley, decent guy who is all for, you know, he was chuckling about what you did uh, to Matt. <laughs> what, what a good friend, you know, and power, man. I, I don't, I don't power. That's, that's a funny word that you're throwing around there. I think I just, I just opened the door to people that never got the opportunities that, that they were looking for that, that toiled around for years. People like Bateman and, and, and Vita just looking for someone to extend a hand to them, man, and just bring them through the door. Matt Taven was the opposite. He, 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 it was all about himself. When the door opened, it wasn't come on in, everybody. It was take a step in front of the line and now follow. It's all about me. It's all about me. That's what it was with Taven. It's not about me, Kevin. It's about everybody else getting an opportunity. And yeah, my good friend Bill has passed the, passed the torch over to me to continue the devil's work. And Bill is a nice guy. But somewhere deep down inside, man, there's a connection there to Vincent where he sees eye to eye with me in this situation. Well, yeah, it is, it is quite, quite disturbing. Um, look, I mean, you and I have known each other for a few years now. And um, 
I mean, obviously, I was, you know, you were the horror king, right? I always knew you had this fascination with horror films and, and things like that. But I mean, that was Vinny. Like, I don't even think, is, is there any of Vinny left inside? Because Vincent, to me, is just a, a whole different person. Like, you are not the same Vinny that oh, I Vinny. met when I first got to Ring of Honor. Man, Vinny, Vinny was, I'll tell you who Vinny was, man. Vinny was uh, just this, this young kid, man, who, who was afraid, who was who held down from being himself, man. You know what? Know, know who Vinny was? He was just, he was a, he was just a, a like a shield that was put in front of every bullet that was fired at Matt Taven. I was just thrown underneath the ring so he could get the spotlight and do everything. I keep mentioning spotlight, man, but that's, that's what this is about to him. You know what I'm saying? He wants that attention so desperate. He's so desperate for this approval that he's never going to get that he just shoved me underneath the ring any chance that he get. That wasn't my decision, man. You think I feel like sitting under the ring? You know what I mean? No, I want, to, I want my message out to the people, man. That's who Vinny was. Vinny was afraid to make the move until, until I scarred Taven's face for the rest of his life. And that was the night Vincent was born, man. Dig what I'm saying? And, 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 and Vinny was just tossed into the garbage, man. That, that wasn't who, who I was, man. You know what I mean? That, that wasn't who I was. I, I'm, not, I'm not someone's political prisoner in this, in, this, in this game here. I know who I am. And I had to make that decision. And now here we are today. I'm, I, I have everything I need right here. Like you said, Kev, all the power. If you want to throw that word around, well, now here I am. I have all the power I could ever ask for. All right. Well, let me ask you this. You, you've said that, you know, Matt Taven was the leader of the kingdom. Uh, he wanted he you- wasn't the leader of the kingdom. He wasn't the leader of the kingdom. I was the leader. Do you know why? Because I said this to you before, Kevin, when I had the conversation with you and Taven before, he was the messenger. I was the leader. Everything that I told him to do, he did. So you can look at it as him being the leader, but the whole time I was pulling the strings here. I was the leader. Okay. Okay. So are you telling me that there was never a real friendship there? You were never, you, you were putting Taven on this whole time. You were never friends. That's just my business, Kevin. That's nobody else's business, but I can tell you, just remember, like I said, I was pulling the strings here. He was never the leader. He was just a selfish person. That can't be trusted, man. Well, I mean, let me ask you this, though. Based on how you treated your, I mean, a guy that we thought was your friend for 11 or 12 years, how are Bateman and, and Chuck and Vita, like, how can they put any trust in you that you won't do the same thing to them? Because I'm just like that, man. I'm just, I was just this outcast that nobody wanted to give a chance to until I found that little crack, that little crack in the system, man, where I found that person, that person that I could grab onto, that person that I knew needed someone with them to get them what they wanted. So I knew if I did that, I would eventually get what I wanted. They can trust me, man, because I'm just like them, you know? They, 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 they're, they're, they were toiling and nobody wanted to pay any attention to them because they're different, man. They think differently. They just needed someone to open. Like I said, they just needed someone to open the door for them, extend them the hand and bring them on in. They can trust me. I'm not the bad person here. Everybody's pointing the finger at me like I'm the bad guy. I've never done anything wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh. But you've, 
you're saying that with I don't think you're laughing at me, Kevin. I, I you're laughing, laughing at the situation. At I think you're. I think uh, it is funny. I think it's funny too that one person can be this selfish for so long, and he co- and he co- always cried about how we we've known each other for this long and that long. But yeah. We've known each other for that long, and everything was just about himself. We came in as a faction, right? The kingdom, right? It was, this, uh, it was about all three of us and turned into one man show. And, uh, you know, that's the part that's funny. So you can laugh. I'm laughing with you. Okay. I think we might be laughing for different reasons. But, um, all right, let me, let me shift gears a little bit. Uh, let me compliment you. You you wrote a uh, a, a first person article for rohwrestling.com as mm. part of our Word of Honor series, and uh, the uh, headline was the incredible story of Vincent, the most dangerous man in pro wrestling, and um, it was quite a fascinating story, I must say. Uh, you know, Matt Taven wrote the first Word of Honor uh, article, and he said, "See what I mean? Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah." Yeah, Matt Taven that. wrote the first article. That's what I'm saying, man. Everybody at Ring of Honor, and, and I don't know if it's you, Kevin, whoever's making these decisions here, but what makes Matt Taven be the first one ever? What is it that's so special about Matt Taven that gives him the right to be the first anything? Do you dig what I'm saying here? So that, that's what I'm talking about. This, that's what's bringing – that's what brought this – into the situation in the first place, man. You just said it yourself, the first. Of course, he's got to be the first everything. Okay, well, I mean, my intention was not to uh, rub salt in your wounds. It was, I was just pointing out that he- I don't got no wounds. He's got all the wounds. Okay. All right, well, let me just, I, I was giving you a compliment though about the article. I thought it was a very compelling piece, very fascinating. Uh, mm. I do think people should check it out on rohwrestling.com. Um, it was, it was very, not only compelling, but it was, it was disturbing, uh, for those who haven't read it, can you just touch a little bit on what your upbringing was like? Because maybe if we hear that, we can understand a little bit more about, uh, I don't know, maybe why you are who you are. It's funny, (laughs) you know, and for the, the people that, that, that question, Anything that I have written, uh, that, that, that it's my life. What you're reading is me. You know, what, whatever you're trying to, whatever these people are trying to, to, to say about me and, and, and trying to claim that, that my, my, me, when I look into the mirror, what I see isn't real. Those are people's own insecurities, man. The, when, the way I was brought up, man, I told, I told you, Kevin, and, uh, that I, I couldn't speak about a lot of the stuff, but man, you know, most, most kids are, 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 you know, they brought up on cartoons and whatnot, you know, you know, I was, I was picked on, man. I was picked on. I was abused. I was made fun of all the physically abused, verbally abused, you name it, all of this stuff. And this is real, man. This isn't some kind of made up story just to get attention. You know, something like Taven would do. This is real. I, I used to run home and, and shelter myself. And, and you know, my, my mom, man, she used to watch the, the violence of the violence for the horror movies, man. And I'd sit there and watch it for hours. Cause th- that's what, that's when I felt comfortable, man. You know, other than wrestling, like horror movies, it grabbed my, grabbed my attention as a youngster. 
and uh, you know, I, everything, man. I told you the story about when I was at school, man, and I took the pliers to school in recess, man. I was probably like six, seven years old, and I took those wire cutters and I cut the fen- a hole in the back fence that went through someone's yard, man. I and I escaped right through the fence, like it was almost like I was in prison. You dig what I'm saying? Because you know, no, 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 nobody wants to get you know picked on, you know, and, and not feel comfortable for where they're at. So I. Man, I wa- I walked right through that yard and walked down the strolling down the street, seven year old kid in a, in a in a bad neighborhood, man, trying to find my way home or just find trying to find my way out of out of this entire situation in itself, man. You know, police officer pulls up, picks me up, takes me home, and what do I do? I isolate myself, shut the door, throw in a horror movie again, man. I was brought up on that stuff. This this isn't this isn't an act, you know. The people like to people like to say this is an act. This ain't no act. You know, this is who I am. Whether you believe it or not, that's your own fault. This, this ain't no act, man. I, I, and, and it gets rougher, man. It, it gets rougher. It, it's, uh, I was brought up a lot. My, my dad was an alcoholic, you know. I, I, I'd be lucky, you know, to, to even see him in a, in a normal frame of mind when I was that young. You know, watching him and my mother fight, you know, continuously. I'd hide underneath the kitchen table when I hear his truck pull up and pull into the back door. I'd run right underneath the kitchen table. You know, while the TV screaming with whatever movie that I, that I had on, you know, there was violence all around me, you know, it wasn't good. I watched my father get into, get into a fight with a police officer on the front lawn while my mother's screaming. It, you know, this, the life was not, my life wasn't for a, a young, you know, seven-year-old kid to be witnessing all this, you know. So it's a lot of bottled up behind me. It's made me who, who I am today, man. Real life situations, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, and I and there's more that that might sound like, well, that that happens to a lot of people. There's more that I I just can't speak about uh, on this podcast, man. Okay, well, that's I mean, I was going to point that out that while everything you just described is is horrible, especially for, you know, a young kid to have to to go through. I mean, I can understand why, you know, you would be scarred for life. Uh, But I was going to say that a lot of people have similar experiences or hard times and you know they don't end up carrying an axe around and and splitting open a guy that they were friends with for 12 years split his head open you know I mean so is that is your background really you know as bad as it was your upbringing was is that really uh, like are you rationalizing like that's why you do the things that you do now I mean you know like the things you're doing now are not uh, normal. I mean, this is like sociopath type behavior. <laughs> it's, it's funny the things that people call me, man. Like, I, I've never, I, I, like I said, man, I've I never done anything wrong. You know, maybe that would have never happened if it was just, if I was given my opportunity, man. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't like him. I wasn't the six foot two, uh, tall handsome athlete that that he that he was you know what i mean i didn't walk to the door and all of a sudden it was like yeah man, put let's let's put him on let's put him on your television screen but that's you know? not Matt's so, fault right i mean he can't help that he was genetically gifted could he i mean no what his fault is is he wanted he 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 con he contacted me and said he wanted me to 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 be a part of his 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 uh his kingdom in his own his own image right that's what he said and, and but like I said before, man, like it turned into just Matt Taven. It was Matt Taven's image. There was no kingdom in his own image. It was just Matt Taven. All of that plan, all of that, all his plan was 
to get to the Ring of Honor world title and was to use me to get there. But here's the thing, Kev. I told you I was pulling the strings. So I knew what he wanted. But so I played this game with him. And then we, we get there. And I, I'm not gonna pull. I'm not gonna pull the trigger when, when he, when, when it's just us three doing our thing. You know what I mean? I'm gonna pull it. When am I gonna pull the trigger? When do you think? Uh, when he's at his, his high point, I guess. When he, when he wins the Ring of Honor World Championship. That's what you want. You want the Ring of Honor World Championship? You got it, man. I'm gonna bring you there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand in front of every bullet that comes towards you. I'm gonna sacrifice, sacrifice myself to get what you want because I know that once you win that Ring of Honor World Championship. Like you said, man, you're at the top of the mountain. And that's the time. That's the time to pull the trigger right there. And that's the time for me to push him over and step into the spotlight. And it becomes about Vincent. Well, let me talk about, uh, for a second, your, so your early days in, in pro wrestling. You mentioned you had this uh, really terrible upbringing. Horror movies were a, way, a means of escape for you. Pro wrestling was another means of escape. Can you talk about um, how you got into the business when you first met Matt um, and what that initial meeting was like and what your early experiences training were like? We, man, I've known Matt since almost the, the uh, he, you know, he, I know Matt for a long time, even before he started training at the gritty, gritty uh, lockup Academy by Spike Dudley, man. And it, it's funny. It's funny. I feel like I'm becoming like a broken record here and it's becoming very repetitive, but I guess this is kind of who the, the kind of person he is, is, you know, even, even then I walk in and it's, 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 it was still about him. You know what I mean? He was like, he was like the teacher's pet, you know? So uh, for me, man, like I said, for him, it was, uh, Taven can do no wrong. For me, it was, it was a struggle, man. It, it didn't. It didn't just. It didn't just happen for me like it did him. I had to. I had to scratch and claw, man. I had to. I had to run through the thorn bushes while the thorns are ripping my skin apart. You know what I'm saying? You know, having people pointing and laughing at me when I'm trying to do it. You know, you just. So it was. It wasn't. It wasn't easy for for me like it was Matt Taven. You know, so I had to struggle and I had to work hard. I. I. I've been in there. I was in that. Uh, you know, it was a gritty. It was gritty. It was in a second floor, like warehouse, you know, the wallpaper falling off the place, like paint chipping, falling into the ring, you know, cold, cold, no, no heat, no AC during the summertime. So it, it was, and I was in there for hours upon hours, three times a week for years, you know, uh, trying to, trying to, trying to get out of the situations that I was in, in life in general, you know, I wanted to, I knew what I wanted to do. This is what I wanted to do. And I would stop nothing, you know, wouldn't stop till I got what I wanted to do. And, you know, then I saw the, I said this before, I saw the open seat on the wagon. Taven was driving the wagon. I saw an open seat in there and I hopped in and then he was the driver and he became the messenger. And you just, you just hop on that wagon and it drives you everywhere, wherever you need to go. And you tell the driver, just like you would when you hop into a, a cab or a lift, man, you tell them where you need to go, they're going to take you there. And that's exactly what I did. Well, uh, I guess metaphorically speaking and, and literally, you took Taven for a ride, didn't you? Sure did, man. When you were training back then, was... Uh... Let me ask you about another guy uh, that was a previous member uh, of the kingdom in a different incarnation. 
was Mike Bennett training there at that time? Mike, uh, Mike, Mike came in there like once in a while. He was there a little. He was there before us, so he was he was kind of doing our doing doing his thing, man. But it's funny that you mention him. And it, it's it's funny, Kevin, because you know what? Everybody points the finger at me. Who? Let me ask you this, Kev. Let me see if you have the answer to this question. Okay. When Mike Bennett went to Ring of Honor. Who was it that latched onto Mike Bennett to get into Ring of Honor? Well, I mean, I, I guess you're, you're. Who who was it? Well, I don't know if I would say latched onto, but I mean, you're talking about Matt, obviously. Oh, oh. I mean, so we, now why was it's a it different latched? Story. Well, it's a different story, though. When I do what I do to get what I want, but when he does what he does to get what he wants, it's. It's okay, right? It, he gets a standing applause for doing what he did. But me, I get, the, I get the finger pointed at me calling me a bad person. But it's okay when he does it. Well, I, I think that's – you're twisting, I think. It's a little bit of – I'm not twisting anything. The truth is the truth. The truth's right in front of you. And, and you're just you're, – you're, you're, you said it yourself. I asked you the question. You answered it, and you gave me the name. Well, because I knew what you were going for, you know, but it, it's all, you know, the, you can use different words. I mean, you could say, you know, when you say latched onto, like he used Bennett, like, I mean, you could just say they, these guys were friends and, and Bennett was in a position to maybe help him. Uh, isn't that what, okay. friends, isn't that what friends do for each other? That is what they do for each other, except for the friend that I had. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, nothing I'm going to no, say. I don't really want to talk about him. He was there before us, but, uh, you know, he did, he, you know, their, their, their relationship, their friendship, their, uh, you know, was, was, was you know, Taven, Taven latched on to, to Mike Bennett. Um, you know, so he, he's the bad person, not me. He uses everybody. Okay. Well, the reason I asked about Bennett, too, is because, I, you know, you described Matt as – you know, he was tall and he was in shape and had, you know, had the look. And I guess, you know, you could say Bennett, you know, had a similar look and, and, you know, um, skill set uh, that I could see where maybe you would. And it trickled down and it trickled down and it trickled down. He did. He, you know what I mean? When I first saw Mike Bennett, man, he, I knew he was a star. I knew he was going somewhere. And that's the thing. So did Matt Taven. So Matt Taven, not even having enough confidence in himself with the way he was and his, in his, in his, the way he looked and, and his abilities, he, he couldn't even do it himself, man. He had to latch on. It trickled down. He had to latch on to Mike Bennett because he couldn't do it himself. And he had to have Mike do it while, while they – they, you know, keep telling me, you know, that they're, they're going to help me and, like, keep going. And the second those two ended up together, boom, I took a backseat, right? They tried to push me off that wagon, right? They tried to push me off that wagon because we were all kind of on that wagon together for a short amount of time when we were in the New England scene, man. When he tried to push me off that wagon, little did they know I was – I still had my hand on the back of it. Like, sure, I might have been dragging on the road and I got a bunch of scars on my knees and my stomach's all ripped up, but I wasn't going to let go. I wasn't going to let go until I got back on the wagon, kicked one of them out, and started driving. I mean, look, 
the way you describe everything, I mean, you could almost be, I mean, it is an underdog story and everyone loves an underdog. And I think if you had maybe handled your business a little bit differently, people would be rooting for you as an underdog because maybe you didn't have all the advantages that Matt and guy like Mike Bennett had, you know, it, it's an underdog story, but you know, there's a say, I mean, as far as underdogs, I guess, you know, there's another saying about dogs is, you know, you don't bite the hand that feeds. And it seems like you, you bit that hand. I, I'm just, I, I disagree, man. Okay. I disagree. You, you, you know, my, you know, my feelings towards it, man. And that's okay. all I'm saying. Everybody knows how I feel about it. Right, I'm not well, the liar here. I'm not the liar. I'm not the bad guy here. Everybody's pointing the finger at me for what I've done. It's sickening. Okay. Well, yeah, I think we are going around in circles a little bit. So let me, let me uh, again, uh, shift gears. I want to talk to you about uh, this. This is probably something you'll definitely want to talk about. Um, you have a horror movie coming out pretty, or the yeah. trailer is coming out pretty soon. Mm. Tell us a little bit again about the movie, uh, the part that you play in it and uh, what's happening. Is it on Halloween that it's going to happen? Yeah, man. Uh, the tra- it's called The Find. Um, you know, they just needed someone that I guess, you know, they need, they, they needed me to fill the, the shoes of, uh, Damon, the, the, the character that's in the movie, the fine Damon. And, uh, it, the trailer comes out on Halloween and, uh, the movie should be released in, uh, January. But, uh, yeah, man, it was, uh, it was fun, man. And, and it's, it's, it's cool. You know what I mean? Cause it's almost like. You cut your friend's head open, and all of a sudden, you get all these opportunities thrown at you. You know, so it's it was very exciting that that one moment turned into so many more opportunities lined up for myself, all from that. So uh, I'm really excited about it, man. Like I told you, my upbringing—that uh, was my escape. You know what I'm saying? That was that was my uh, when I felt, you know, I I just felt comfortable. You know, being in that that realm. You know, I've I've gone to horror conventions growing up as a kid, man, and and it's just it's like Disney World to me. You know what I'm saying? Like being in that environment and all the people that are that are like like me. You know what I'm saying? So like being in now being in one of these movies that are you know it's going to be like Netflix and Amazon and and all these streams that everybody loves nowadays. Uh, you know, being in one now is just uh, you know, that's a uh, euphoric for me, you know, so it, it's cool. So the trailer will be out on a uh, Halloween, man. And you're the villain in this film. I am the villain, man. Okay. I'm like, now there, you know there, I'm a bad guy in that. I was going to say, I'm like in real life where you're the good uh, guy. Right? Yeah. I'm not a bad guy in real life and that I'm a bad guy. Okay. okay. Uh, let me ask you, since we talked about Halloween and this is our special Halloween uh, episode, Talk to me about what Halloween is like around the Vincent household. I mean, is it, is it fair to say that Halloween is not just October 31st, but is, I don't know, 365 days a year where you are? It's like Christmas. It's like Christmas, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like we get pumped for, for Halloween. I'll tell you a little kind of little stories. Uh, My mother used to, uh, man, like she used to hide out on the, uh, 
on on the on the porch and stuff. I mean, she she she'd do up her makeup and she she'd look, be all different sorts of characters from different movies and whatever it may be and that and she would scare the the neighborhood kids. Like it was crazy, man. And I remember just being like a, a little kid and seeing that. But like to touch on like our house now, man. Like we our house is like a, a horror museum. You know what I'm saying? Like we've got movie props from all the different movies that you can think of from over the years um uh you know uh my wife is huge into witchcraft so you know we just it's crazy my daughter can name off every every uh she's just like me my daughter's just like me you know she loves that stuff uh she's always doing art projects that like yeah our house is like a is a like a horror museum during halloween man like you know um uh uh, safe to say probably year round to be honest with you but halloween's like uh our that's our day you know um do kids actually come trick-or-treating to your house no <laughs> okay no not at our house man okay we're we're kind of like the, the where we're at, what the ranch is at. It's kind of like set far further back, so you couldn't even get to our house anyway. But we sell it. We celebrate it with the, you know, the the family in general. That's good enough. I see. Let me back up a second. Did you say your wife is is into witchcraft? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's been into witchcraft for a long time now. Okay. Has she ever put a spell on you? uh she could have man i don't know i don't know she could have you know that's that maybe that's how i've gotten gotten uh in the position i'm in now man you know maybe maybe it's the spell that kind of kind of did did the deed you know but yeah she's into witchcraft been into it for years okay well you, you mentioned to me before we started today that uh you're actually uh we are not you're not talking to me from your home uh, can you tell me or tell the people listening where you are right now? I'm actually wandering the streets of, uh, Salem, Massachusetts, man. And, um, I, uh, I'm actually staying at the Hawthorne hotel in Salem. It's supposed to be this like, you know, big, uh, big haunted, uh, hotel, man. And I don't really buy that stuff until, until, until something, you know, you know, grabs me on the, by the ankles and th throws me off the bed against the wall, man. I, I'm, I'm, not really you know digging into that but uh i stayed there just because of the the apparently it's the most haunted place in salem but i'm wandering the streets of salem right now checking out the the old witch house uh they got count orlock's uh horror museum here i like to go and check that out that's supposed to be really cool and have all the stuff that you know i've kind of always that I grew up on like we talked earlier you know what I mean like it has all the you know horror icons that uh I always looked up to as a little kid um you know it's just a you know and you see all the you know the the, the people all the witches walking the streets over here in Salem man like they, there's like the real witches walking out in the streets over here so it's cool it's it's kind of like you know it just has like this vibe that I kind of dig yeah yeah well I I could see you you probably feel right at home I do, man. I do. You know, there's people walking around, walking right by me that are just like me. Okay. Well, uh, unless you had any other uh, final words, uh, we're going to move on and we're going to take a quick break and do our uh, 10 questions segment. I've got a special Halloween edition of 10 questions for you. Were there any final words before we get to 10 questions? Any other any messages you want to send? 
I just want you to remember the words, revenge is forever. Just remember that. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I think that message was probably uh, meant specifically, I would, I would assume, for one person. But, uh, yeah, uh, well, it's, we will heed those words. Uh, I know that you're, uh, you're, you're not a man to mince words. So, uh, all right, we will take that quick break. And when we come back, we will play a Halloween edition of 10 Questions with the Horror King, Vincent. I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ringofhonor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the RH Strong Podcast, special Halloween edition. My guest is Vincent. Vincent, are you ready to play 10 questions with us? Yeah, man. Let's hear it. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What is your favorite classic black and white horror movie um i'm gonna have to go with uh man um man that's tough man no it's tough i'm gonna one. I'm, I'm gonna go with uh dracula on that oh yeah can't go wrong with that bella Lugosi, no. 1931 yeah of course man that's golden question number two what's your favorite slasher film Go with the original Halloween. Can't go wrong there. All right, let's let's go forward a little bit now. What the question number three? What's your favorite horror movie of the two thousands? So of the last twenty years. Devil's Rejects. Ah, okay. Of course, you kissing up to your friend Bill. Kissing up. That's my friend. That's a real friend. That's what a real friend's like. Oh. Someone who believes in your vision. Someone who believes in you. But go, go ahead, continue. All right, question number four. Um, well, I might already know the answer to this one. I was going to say question number four. Who is your favorite horror movie actor or actress from any era? Let me say other than Bill Mosley because he's your friend. Uh, mm. I'd say, man, that's a tough one too. Uh, Kane Hodder. As as uh, he's he's done a lot in the in the horror genre that I think uh, you know many people respect him for that. As Kane Hodder is probably one of them, but you know Jack Nicholson in The Shining is a uh, is a great one too. But I'd say probably if sticking with strictly that cult following of that horror genre, I'd say Kane Hodder is a good one. Okay, question number five: Do you have a favorite horror movie host or hostess? One of these uh, creature feature type hosts. Elvira. I knew you were going to say that. I, I'm with you. I, I could think of two good reasons why I would also say Elvira. Elvira. Yeah. It was either Elvira or Sven Gulli. I figured you were going yeah. one way or the other. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Question number six. Is there an under-the-radar horror movie that people should see? Not one of the real famous ones, some kind of maybe like a cult classic or something that, you know, a horror aficionado would know about, but isn't really mainstream. Mm, The Fun House? Yeah, that's a great one. Good choice. Very underrated movie, man. That's Toby Hooper, right? Correct. Yeah, that's good. He's a legend. Very underrated. All right, question number seven. Who would win a hypothetical triple threat match? Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Michael Myers. Mm. It's all Freddy versus Jason, but now we're gonna we're gonna throw Michael Myers in there. Triple threat. Now this is this is uh, Freddy pulled into the real world. Yeah, Jason. Okay. Yeah, I figure if it's in the real world, yeah, Jason, he's got the uh, he's got the big, got, you know. Yeah, man, and Freddy's Freddy's screwed if he's not in the dream world, right? He could die yeah. in real world. Michael Myers just has that knife, which is not going to hold up against Jason's mm-hmm. body, most likely. All right, question number eight. What is your favorite horror movie score or soundtrack? Lost Boys. Oh, okay. See, I, 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 I would have guessed you would say the Halloween, the classic Halloween theme. Uh, the Lost Boys, man. The Lost Boys has a, has a awesome soundtrack. Yeah, that's one of the first ones I ever bought as a kid. Okay, all right. Yep. So a special meaning for you. All right, you can't go wrong with the Shining uh, score either. Right? right. All right. Question number nine: What is your favorite Halloween costume that you wore as a kid? Mm. <sighs> Damn, man. Um. As a kid, I'm assuming you did go trick or treating as a kid. Of course, of course, man. Uh, favorite, favorite one though. What's a favorite one that I had? No, I was, I was. Uh, to be honest with you, I was Michael Myers a lot as a kid, um, <laughs> which was like a re, you know, reoccurring thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, why does that I, not surprise me? I mean, I, of yeah. course, you were going to say Batman. Honestly, man, I think I think like I was like eight years old and I was Michael Myers, so this probably has like a special, like you know, little special place in my heart. I guess you could say being my, well, you know, one that I could, you know, as young as I can remember. You know, I wasn't no like Ninja Turtle or anything like that. I, Michael Myers was the first cut, like what I can remember that I kind of. Yeah, I mean, of Love course, it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't a Ninja Turtle. It wasn't, you know, Batman or Superman. Nah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we've come to the final question. Question number 10. And this is a deep one now. Uh, mm. What scares you? Everybody's scared of something. What scares me? Hmm. <laughs> that's a tough one man what scares me is not not being able to 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 express myself and to have that outlet to express myself to to be who who I truly am that scares me not being able to 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 be who I am and who I want to be okay fair enough well uh the last thing I'll ask you is if uh, you have any 
social media information or anything else you want to give out? I know you, you'd like to get your, uh, your message out there to the, to the masses. So where can they find you? Yeah, why not? Right. It's no secret that I have a, you know, a whole social media deal in this, you know, society. So you can find me on that Twitter at the horror King VM, Instagram, the horror King official and Facebook, the horror King official. And you can follow my message there. Okay. Well, Vincent, uh, I appreciate you uh, being generous with your time today. And, uh, being so open about everything. And uh, I got to say, I, I mean, I would love at some point that, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm dreaming, but I would love at some point for, I don't know, you and Matt to uh, bury the hatchet and not in his head. Well, Kev, you're a righteous man, you know, and I appreciate you uh, seeing th- everything my way. Okay. All right, well, I'm not sure I said that, but all right. Well, thanks again. And uh, hey, it, it, this was a fun episode. Our, our Halloween episode, uh, Bill Mosley, the great actor, joined us earlier. Of course, Vincent, the horror king. Uh, what more could you ask for for a Halloween episode? So I want to thank everybody out there for listening and say to keep it locked on to ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong Podcast will be available. This is Kevin Eck saying, stay safe, everyone. Happy Halloween. And let's all be ROH Strong. Uh, you are listening to ROH Strong. And, uh, you know, thank you very much. And uh, we, we thank you. <laughs>